Hello, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. Happy whatever day it is for you. I hope you are doing well and just living your best life. I am excited because I'll get to go home for a few days pretty soon to go visit family, see old friends, so that will be fun. And then I finished up my internship recently. School starts soon, so exciting times in life. In terms of scandals I've seen in the news recently, I saw that Lori Loughlin recently spoke out about the college admissions scandal and her statement or just kind of interview about the whole thing was really unimpressive to viewers. Basically, everyone was like, you're rich and privileged and you're only sorry because you get caught or because you got caught and you and your daughters are basically mocking hardworking people who tried and actually got into college without having to bribe their ways in, which the college admissions scandal, that's an interesting one. I'll probably do it at some point, but I got a good documentary on it recently, so I'll let it sit for a little bit, but that's an interesting one. Of course, there's always more things going on in the world, but that's really the only thing I'm going to talk about in terms of what I've seen in the news. So going into this scandal, the sources I used, I used a Vice article by Chris Niddle, an article from Hack Curio by Fenwick McKelvey, an article by Vilius Petkauskas from Cyber News, and then an article from All That's Interesting by Katie Serena. This one is... This episode is probably one of my top 10 just kind of favorite historical technology things that have happened because you would think after all this time there would be answers, we would know the person behind this, but still, almost 40 years later, we have no idea who pulled this off or anything in terms of an identity. So with that, Let's dive into this episode, The Max Headroom Signal Hijacking. To set the scene a little bit, the date is November 22nd, 1987, and it's an average Sunday evening. That evening, Dan Rohn, who was a Chicago sportscaster, was covering highlights of the Bears' recent victory over the Detroit Lions, and it seemed to be an average broadcast, the 9 o'clock news on Channel 9, nothing too exciting going on. He had been doing this broadcast for years, and nothing that eventful had ever happened. And of course, as we know, usually when a sentence ends with nothing eventful had ever happened... That generally means that something eventful is about to happen. At 9.14pm that night, the sports report abruptly stopped and Dan Rohn disappeared from the screen. As Dan disappeared, darkness filled the screen as the picture flickered away. Then, about 15 seconds later, a person was back on the TV, but it wasn't Dan Rohn or anybody from Channel 9. A somewhat familiar face appeared on the screen, but... It was different than people had seen it before. It was a person dressed in a rubber mask and sunglasses, made to look like the artificial intelligence TV character Max Headroom. 
behind-the-max headroom figure that was appearing in people's living rooms. There was a background that was made to look like a background that had appeared behind Max Headroom in the TV show. In the Max Headroom TV show, Max Headroom, just to give you some background on who this character is, Max Headroom was a journalist who had been assassinated for uncovering bad information about the corporation of the TV station that he worked at. Max's friends then preserved his brain and uploaded it to the network, which then made Max a digital presence. In the show, the ghost of Max would show up in broadcasts and share random jokes and comments on social happenings. The show had a short first season. It kind of started a second season, but then it was canceled. But even though it was a pretty short-lived show, the idea of Max Headroom and the artificial intelligence perspective, it really gained popularity and had a pretty decent following. So when Max Headroom's head <laughs> popped up on the screen, whoever was behind that rubber mask, it not only was recognized, but this incident kind of memorialized Max Headroom. The background behind the figure tilted from side to side and the eerie image of Max stayed on the screen. There wasn't really any sound during this broadcast, but the person dressed as Max Headroom just kind of bounced around on the screen, and there was a loud buzzing noise that played. So there wasn't any audio of anyone talking, but there was this kind of eerie buzzy noise. This went on for about 30 seconds before Dan Roan popped back up onto the screen. During that 30 seconds where Max Headroom was eerily bouncing around on the screen, signal engineers at WGN, who broadcast Channel 9, had managed to switch the frequency of the studio link to another transmitter, so they got control back. And then when Dan Roan came back on the screen, he said, quote, Well, if you're wondering what happened, haha, <laughs> so am I, end quote. After the interruption, Dan continued with his broadcast, and seemingly things were back to normal, at least to the public, but back inside the studio, things were different. As soon as things were back under control, engineers in the studio automatically assumed that this had to be an inside job. And of course, who can blame them? This was the late 1980s, and while it wasn't terribly long ago, technology definitely wasn't what it is today. The thought of someone hacking a major TV signal and broadcasting whatever they wanted was really outside of anyone's mind. So engineers, they started searching the building for someone who could have pulled this off, but they didn't find anybody. In fact, the broadcast wasn't even live. It had been a pre-recording from a third party from a separate location. It was creepy, but seemingly it was over. At least, that's what people thought. Part of the reason why engineers immediately thought someone would have had to be in the building to pull this off is because something like this was new, and it was really unheard of. One of the first, if not the first, people to interrupt a broadcast signal and one of the first incidents happened a little over one year ago before this incident, and it happened on April 27th, 1986. This hack is known as Captain Midnight. Captain Midnight was upset about HBO raising their prices, so instead of writing a strongly worded letter or just complaining to some friends, he interrupted a showing of the Falcon and the Snowman to air his grievances. His bright, colorful message, which read, quote, Good evening, HBO, from Captain Midnight. $12.95 per month? No way. Showtime movie channel, beware. End quote. 
this message, which was just a screen with words, there was no face, no one talking, it was just like a still image with text on it, was up for almost five minutes before HBO was able to regain control of their signal. When this happened, viewers were mildly annoyed, but the real concern came from the U.S. government. The U.S. government now had to be concerned that amateurs could hack satellite signals and what that could mean for the military and cybersecurity. For example, spy satellites that were monitoring the Soviet Union could potentially be intercepted, and that vital information could have let out state secrets. So when this started to happen, the United States government was like, uh-oh, we gotta get this under control. There was an investigation that went underway for Captain Midnight, and it was partially slowed down by over 200 people who confessed that were hoping to get credit for the hack. Despite these false confessions, and it just kind of boggles my mind that so many people confessed, but again, at the time, this was relatively new, so it would have been a pretty decent way to become infamous. But despite these false confessions, the hacker somewhat shot himself in the foot when carrying out this hack. Quote, Only a specific set of antenna was powerful enough to have outmuscled HBO, and the graphics model responsible for rendering the typeface used in his broadcast was rare. End quote. So basically, the person who pulled this off did it in such a way where it was rare and it was easy to find, and because of this, John R. McDougall, who was a former operations engineer at the Central Florida Teleport Uplink Station, was found by authorities. Because this type of crime, hacking, was so new at the time, he got a pretty low and just kind of, not to be a bad pun, but like under the radar punishment. He paid a $5,000 fine, he was put on probation, and quote, had his amateur radio license suspended for a year, end quote. I don't know what an amateur radio license is, but I would like three. So that is one of the first, if not the first hacks about a year before this Max Headroom incident. So going back to the night of the Max Headroom incident on November 22nd, 1987, the fun with Max Headroom was not over. Just about two hours after this first hack, so the first one happened around 9.14pm, so now around 11.15pm, Max Headroom was going to make a second appearance, this one more memorable. The signal hack made a change from Channel 9 to Channel 11. This time, it was PBS's affiliate WWTW as they were airing a Doctor Who episode called The Horror of Fang Rock. The show was playing as normal when, similar to what happened before, the video cut out. There were lines that appeared across the screen, and then the masked figure was back and appeared across living rooms as in Chicago. Again, the rotating background was there, the masked figure was bobbing around, kind of bouncing around. But this time, there was one thing that was different. This time, there was sound. I wanted to put the audio of the video in this episode, but copyright laws and stuff, I'm not trying to get sued, so I'm going to describe what happened, but you should definitely just go look up Max Headroom Hacking and watch the video because it is really creepy. Some of the audio in this broadcast and this hack is able to be understood, other parts are not. His voice is distorted, it sounds creepy, but at first he says, quote, that does it. He's a freaking nerd, end quote. He then laughed, he then mentioned Chuck Swirsky, who was a WGN pundit and claimed to be better than him. 
The Max Headroom figure then held up a can of Pepsi to then recite the Coca-Cola saying, which was, quote, catch the wave, end quote. At the time, Max Headroom was being used as a spokesperson for Coke, and while that stuff was weird and just kind of out of the blue, it only got creepier from there. The person then flipped off the camera, and his finger was abnormally long because he was wearing a rubber extension on his finger. He then sang Your Love is Fading, words from the song I Know I'm Losing You by The Temptations. He hummed random things, said random things from TV shows. He then screamed things that people couldn't understand, and then started moaning. He then claimed that he had, quote, made a giant masterpiece for all the greatest world newspaper nerds, end quote. He tried to emulate Michael Jackson by holding up a glove and said, quote, my brother is wearing the other one, end quote. He then pulled on it and said, quote, but it's dirty. It's like you got bloodstains on it, end quote. The camera then cuts and shows a man's torso and partially exposed butt. The mask had been removed and was being held up to the camera and the person's face was off camera. And then the finger extension that the person was wearing was now stuffed inside of the mask's mouth. The man screamed, quote, they're coming to get me, end quote. A female voice then responded, quote, bend over, bitch, end quote, and then the man was repeatedly spanked with a fly swatter as he screamed and the fly swatter was being hit against the man's bare butt. This whole hack had lasted 1 minute and 22 seconds before transmitters were able to black the signal out. There had been no engineers on duty at the time, otherwise the signals could have been stopped sooner. By the time the error was noticed, the transmission was done. Because no one was on duty, the only copies of the creepy Max Headroom hack came from Doctor Who fans who had been taping the episode on their VCRs. I didn't know that before I did this research, and that was just fascinating to me, and it's kind of interesting because obviously back then, you didn't have DVRs, you didn't have digital recording, so a lot of the times the only things... Like, the only way to get things that happened on TV was to record it, and if no one was recording it or no one saved a recording, it's, in theory, just gone forever from TV. WGN and WTTW covered the incident the next day. They broadcast the video again and called the person behind it, quote, a TV video pirate, end quote. Again, after this hack, the government was worried, and the FCC tried as hard as they could to find the person behind it, and they offered an award, a reward to anyone with information. Phil Bradford, an FCC spokesman, said, quote, I would like to inform anybody involved in this kind of thing that there is a maximum penalty of $100,000, one year in jail, or both, end quote. WTTW spokesman Anders Yoakum said, quote, all in all, there are some who may view this as comical, but it's a very serious matter because illegal inter interference of a broadcast signal is a violation of federal law, end quote. The FCC, though they were unsuccessful in eventually figuring out who this person was, they were successful in figuring out how the hacker did it. A person could have placed their own dish between the transmitter tower and interrupted the signal. All they needed was some equipment, some good timing, and positioning. The FCC also found a place where the video may have been shot, a roll-down door of a warehouse, and they even found a warehouse district where it was potentially filmed because the doors were like it and 
it was like just seemingly the perfect location. But even though the FCC had all of this information, how they could have done it, where potentially they did it, again, the who has never been solved. It's interesting because most potential people and suspects weren't even investigated, and the person who did really do it seemed to gain no attention after doing this. After this broadcast hack, the person just disappeared. There were no follow-up incidents that kind of had this person's signature. There weren't other events that gave the authorities hints. There was nothing. There have been a few names that have popped up from theorists online, and one of those popular names is Eric Fournier. Eric was the creator of Shane St. John, quote, a fictional model who was disfigured in a car accident and recreated her body from mannequin parts, end quote. People who liked Eric's work pointed out similarities between his work and the broadcast hack, especially in Eric's use of masks and, quote, unconvincing prosthetics, end quote. Even though he is popular among theorists, his friends and people who knew him during his lifetime said that he was bad with the type of technology needed to pull it off, that he didn't really have the skill set to do it, and on top of that, he likely wasn't in Chicago at the time. Eric died in 2010, so if it was him, it's never been confirmed, and it will never be able to be confirmed. There have been other names that have popped up online. There was one case where someone wrote an anonymous article with pseudonyms saying that he knew the two people who did it, who said that the people were like, watch Channel 11 tonight, that they had the skill set, and people have looked into this. There have been emails back and forth with this person, and even with that, there has been nothing that has been confirmed. Since the Max Headroom incident back in 1987, there have been some famous signal hackings, such as in 2007 when people in New Jersey watching the kids' cartoon Handy Manny on Playhouse Disney found themselves watching porn, so quite the change from Disney to porn. And then in 2009, a disgruntled Comcast employee interrupted the Super Bowl for Tucson viewers with, quote, 37 seconds of porn, end quote. The Max Headroom incident remains unsolved to this day, and for many, it remains an iconic moment in history. No one really knows the motive. There was really no or much political messaging. There seemed to be no ulterior like motivations behind the broadcast. It was strange. It was bizarre. And other than being random and bizarre, it really didn't seem to have a purpose. Will this ever be solved? I think it eventually could. One article I read was interesting saying that the TV industry is so competitive that potentially part of the reason for this not being solved is because anybody who was involved would be excommunicated from TV and never be able to work there again. So if it was someone who was in the TV industry, then they'll probably never admit it, at least in their lifetime. But... In my mind, I like it being unsolved because I think it gives it more of the mystery that it still has. It's something that people can theorize about, something that people can talk about. Because once it's solved, then that's like a closing of the book. And normally I like when things have an end, but this one I don't mind not having an end because no one was really hurt. No one was really impacted in a negative way other than 
their Doctor Who show being interrupted. And unless you count the person who was dressed as Max Headroom being spanked on the butt with a fly swatter being hurt, then this really was a victimless crime. And with that, that concludes the Max Headroom signal hijacking. I really said all of my closing thoughts just there, so not much else to say other than thank you so much for listening. I'm going to post photos related to this on social media, on Instagram at Scandal101Podcast, on Twitter at Scandal101Pod, on Facebook, search Scandal101Podcast, you'll find the page there. The website is Scandal101Podcast.Podbean.com. You can find the show notes there. You can also find the show notes in the episode description, and then an email if you want to send in your personal scandal or a topic recommendation is scandal101podcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you have a good week. I hope the rest of your day goes well. And with that, this has been episode 62 of Scandal 101.